following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at 10.15 or check us out at DeeringChristian.org. Folks, um, all right. The, the first service this morning was kind of shy. I've got a question for you. And I know that there were people out there who wanted to raise their hand and they wouldn't do it because this is an unusual question to be asked to begin a time in God's Word. But I believe that it is an important question. All right? I really, really do. So what I'm going to tell you, if you are going to, if, if you own this, if, if, if I ask you a question and you're one of the people that I'm speaking to, that you would have the courage to, to just stand, stand on what you believe, own it, and raise that hand proud. All right? You got that? Now, here's the question. How many of you believe you have seen a UFO? All right, that is, that is proud right there. I appreciate that. You've got a few others. No, keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. All right, brave people. I like that. I like that. Okay, keep those hands up. I want to tell you, if, if you are in that place, you obviously are not alone. I can tell you that my Aunt Barb would very much be here raising her hand, crossing the low water bridge years ago, heading up, and boom, there it was. There it was. And she probably believes that her favorite movie, E.T., had something to do with that. All right? But yours, not just Aunt Barb, um, one of my favorite authors, the, the late C.S. Lewis, also believed that. Now, I'm not sure about UFOs, but he very much believed that there was life out there somewhere existing in our universe, beyond our universe. He believed that to this very core. Extraterrestrial. Okay, did anybody, 1983, did anybody here go watch E.T. in 1983? We got a few, now a few more hands. Okay, all right. Um, extraterrestrial, this is what it means. I kind, of, I kind of took the definition from Merriman's or Webster, I can't remember which one it was, and I kind of morphed it a little bit, paraphrased it just a little bit for this. Extraterrestrial, terrestrial, something from outside the Earth's atmosphere, all right? Now, some believe... This is not hypothetical and fictional, but some also do. Hypothetical or fictional beings from outer space, especially a highly intelligent one. All right, hold that thought for just a moment. And we're going to look at a different definition. The definition of a door. Okay, um, we have taken the word a door and we have kind of, um, for lack of better terminology, we've kind of... um, Care bared it, all right? I mean, oh, it's just adorable, you know? And when we think, when I think of a door, I think of puppies, babies, you know, little bunny rabbits, little baby bunny rabbits, you know? Those are these things that, that pop into my brain, all right? But a door is so much more than that. This is what I found when I looked up a door. I, look, I found this. I found deep respect and love. And I also found this, worship. Worship. These next three weeks, we're going to be focusing a lot on the the nativity and the story of the nativity, the characters of the nativity. And as we will find out in a couple weeks, some of those characters don't really belong at the nativity, but we've put them there. (laughs) But but looking at, when we look at the nativity, those who, who joined the nativity party, if you will, for one specific purpose, to worship. 
And I would hazard to say that those who did that, we're going to look at three specifically. The first one we're going to look at, I would guess, is the only group, the only group who knew truly the profoundness of the one in that manger they were worshiping. And the depth to which he who was in that manger purposefully sank to save mankind. And what we call that group, right out of Luke chapter 2, the heavenly host. The angels. Now something we've got to understand, when the angels showed up in that field... First one and then many before the shepherds. This was not their introduction to this story. They have been at work already. They had to get things ready for Jesus' arrival into this world. Gabriel was the chief event coordinator, if you will, all right? Uh, Probably a more biblical level. Gabriel, I should say this, was an extremely powerful angel. And he was God's chief And is God's chief messenger. And Gabriel showed up to a man named Zechariah. Zechariah. You can read his part in this story in Luke chapter 1. But but I'm just going to summarize it for you. Alright? If if you want to, turn to Luke chapter 2. That's where we're going to be spending our time today. But in Luke chapter 1, you'll find about Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was married to a priest's daughter. Now the priests came from the Israel's tribe of Levi. But Zechariah and his wife were not only of the tribe, the priestly tribe of Levi, they were direct, they were descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. They were good people. And folks, they were old. You know, sometimes we don't call it old around here. We call it seasoned, you know, like a really good ribeye, you know. I'm sorry, that sounds really weird. Okay. But these folks weren't just seasoned. They were old, all right? I mean, they were old with a capital O. And they had never had any children, ever. Now, Zachariah, it came to his turn. There was this great honor among the priests. And not all of the priests got the opportunity to do this. Because they were drawn by lot to perform this honor. And if you ever performed and got to do this duty you nev- once, you never got to do it again. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And it was this. It was the honor of going into the holy place in the temple and lighting the incense. And what that incense represented was the prayers of God's people going up to heaven. And it was in the holy place. I mean, let me tell you a little bit about this holy place, folks. When, when a priest would go in to do this duty... They would tie a rope around his leg. You know why? Because if it got to him and he passed out, (laughs) they're not going in to get him. They're going to drag him out with the rope, okay? That's the level of of holies, this this level of set-apartness that they put in this place. And it was Zachariah's turn to do this. He got the rope tied around him. Boom, he went in. Now, I can tell you this. Zachariah was probably so focused on the duty that he... I mean, he, he waited his whole life for this, and you got to do it right, okay? And he's so focused on getting this job done that he doesn't notice, standing in the corner, an angel by the name 
of Gabriel. And when he finally does notice Gabriel, he's like, I mean, when angels show up in the Bible, it's always the same reaction. Utter, complete terror. All right? He is afraid. And Gabriel tells him, do not be afraid. And he says, I have a message for you, Zechariah. This is, this is my message for you. Your wife, Elizabeth, she's going to have a son. And you're going to name him John. And it's that man, your son, who will prepare the way for the Messiah. And Zechariah, he must have lost a little bit of his, of his frightenedness because he, he comes out and says, how do I know this is really going to happen? And Gabriel's like, dude, I'm Gabriel. I mean, I came from the throne room of God. Do you understand that? I, Gabriel here, okay? You can take my word. But if you want a sign, here's your sign. From now until the day your son is brought into this world who is born, you're not going to be able to hear anything, and you're not going to be able to say anything. There's your sign. So Zechariah gets a sign. He comes out, and apparently he signs, he writes, whatever, to tell people what's going on. And it is an amazing, amazing thing. His story is amazing. And I've just summarized it. Read it yourself in Luke chapter 1. But then in Luke chapter 1, you will jump into the next person that Gabriel goes to visit. A little bit different situation here out of Luke chapter 1. This is six months after Gabriel shows up and visits with Zechariah and gives him that news. He shows up to a young lady named Mary. Young, it should be highlighted, all right? She was young. And she was engaged to the love of her life named Joseph, who was probably a younger man as well. Now, they're engaged in a little bit different than, than the engagements that take place in our culture. Um, if you got engaged to someone in that Jewish culture in that day, in order to break up with them, you would have to divorce them. It was a binding engagement. But they do not come together as husband and wife. So Mary is a virgin. And Joseph and Mary, humble people, good people. Very good people. Gabriel comes to deliver a message to Mary. She is troubled, but it's interesting. I'm sure that she's troubled by the side of Gabriel, like anybody in their right mind would be, but she's more troubled about what Gabriel has to say. And this is the thing. Gabriel hasn't even told her what's coming yet. Gabriel's greeting to her is what troubles her, and this is his greeting. Greetings to you, one who's highly favored. And Mary's like, uh, why is he calling me highly favored? favored. I'm just a girl. <laughs> that's, that's all. That's all. I am. And she was troubled at that. And then Gabriel continues on and he says, you're going to have a son. And that son is going to save people from their sins. The Messiah. He's going to be yours. And Mary's thinking, okay, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a virgin. That this is this is not going. How can this happen? She doesn't necessarily ask for a sign, but she's just like, "How how can you have a baby?" I mean, I... Gabriel gives her a sign. 
He says, your relative. Now, some versions of the Bible might say cousin. We don't know exactly how they were related. But she was related to, remember, Zachariah and Elizabeth? Mary's related to Elizabeth. He says, your relative Elizabeth, even in her old age, is pregnant with a child. There's your sign. And Mary immediately gets her things together and heads out of town. To go see Elizabeth. She stays with Elizabeth three months. When she gets there, Elizabeth has been pregnant for six months. So add that up. Mary stays until John is born. And she returns home. And that's a whole story in and of itself. Okay? But six months after she leaves Elizabeth to go back home... Understand, she was with Elizabeth three months. She's with child. Okay, so we get in the time frame. The angels show up again. Six months later, we find ourselves in the boondocks with some shepherds watching the sheep. And turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 8. Luke 2, verse 8. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard. Be the Luke is the third book of your New Testament. He's the, the author of the Gospel of Luke that gives us the most details and puts him in the most chronological order of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is what Luke has to say. Verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Guys, Do not let your familiarity with this passage steal from its splendor and its power. I have a feeling that you're going to hear this multiple times in the weeks to come, and you've heard it before. We're going to look at the same passage of Scripture next week again. How many of you like to watch Charlie Charlie Brown's Christmas Carol? Is it Christmas Carol Charlie Brown? Just Christmas Charlie Brown. I don't know. But if you watch it, you'll hear this again. Do not let it being so familiar take away from the extraordinary nature of what's happening here. You've got these shepherds and they are utterly terrified. Now we're going to hear more about them next week. But they're out there watching those sheep and all of a sudden the sky lights up. And there's an angel. Now is it Gabriel? We don't know. I kind of like to think it's Gabriel. But we we don't know. But an angel does show up, and the angel brings with him the glory, the Shekinah of God. So we're, we're talking about the sky lighting up. I'm telling you folks, when, when an angel shows up and when the glory of God shows up, the reaction all the time, every time, is exactly the same. People are on their face on the ground. And the angel and the glory of God was with him. And the message was simple for those shepherds. The Savior has come. 
Now, these shepherds, as we'll learn next week, they're, they're kind of the rednecks of the story, okay? And we'll talk a lot about that next week. I mean, these guys are Jews, though, and they know a little something like all the Jews know about the prophesied coming Messiah. And then the angel, without even being asked, gives them a sign to validate his message. That's interesting to me that Zechariah, Mary, the shepherds, all were given incredible messages from God. And God backed up every one of those messages with evidence. And God still operates in that way today. If God has a message for you, he's not going to send you that message without evidence to back it up. It's the way he works. Here's the sign. You'll find the Messiah lying in a feed trough. A feed trough. More about that next week. Look at verse 13. It says this, And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, we've also taken the word, just like the word adore, we've taken the word host, and we've kind of changed it up just a little bit. When I think of host, you know, I think of, I think of the, the perfect butler, or maybe this great hostess, you know, at the you know, just making the home perfect for some great party or something. That, that, that's, that's not what we're talking That's not the kind of host we're talking about here. We're talking about an army. We're talking about the most powerful army this world has ever witnessed. Let me tell you a little bit something about one of these warriors, one of these angelic warriors. It only took one of them in the Old Testament to destroy 185, an army of Assyrian soldiers numbered 185,000. One of these angelic warriors took care of that assignment. And now we have an entire army of them. The world that night should have been on its knees before power like this. And yet, this army did not come to destroy. This army came to announce peace. And give glory to God. An army worshiping. Their God. If you look at the first part of verse 15, it just sounds so ho-hum, all right? It's like, this incredible thing just happened, all right? That, that, I mean, it's like the shepherds, you know, that's kind of the new thing. They just look at each other and say, that just happened, all right? I mean, whoa. And it says the angels left and returned to heaven. You know, I don't know if we'll ever really truly know the extent to which the angels were involved in the next 33 years. Jesus' life, his ministry, his life previous to his ministry, his childhood. How much were the angels involved in that? We do get glimpses of them working behind the scenes. Two specific glimpses we see. One is when Jesus began his ministry, he was around 30 years old, and he began his public ministry. And you know how he began it? He went to that John guy, John the Baptist, we just read about, and said, I need you to baptize me. 
John kind of scratches his head. It's like, what? This is, you know what this is a baptism for, right? It's a baptism of repentance. It's for people who sinned and they're baptized to change. You understand that, right? You don't need to be baptized, Jesus. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus looks at him and says, yes, but this is what my father wants and this is what needs to be done. And Jesus is baptized. And then Jesus immediately goes from there into the wilderness and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. At the end of that, Satan shows up. Satan shows up and he tempts Jesus. Satan's doing everything he can before the ministry of Jesus even gets started to destroy it, to derail it, to stop it. And he tempts Jesus. And Jesus, it's like, it's not a fair fight. I mean, Jesus is exhausted. He's worn out here, but it is not a fair fight. And Satan doesn't even get close to him and tempting him. And at the end of it, it says Satan left him only to be ready to, be, to return at a more opportune time. <laughs> and it says after that, Jesus, remember, he just fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He is exhausted. And it says the angels, some angels came to minister to him. But we read about that again, you know. What happens the next time? What, in the wilderness by the Jordan or the Jordan River? It was in a garden. It was in an olive grove that we call the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a place where Jesus physically, emotionally, and spiritually worn down to nothing falls before his father and says, Dad, I know we've been working on this for a long time, but if there's any other way, if there's any other way, I don't want to go to that cross. I don't want to carry the burden, the sin of this world. I, I don't. Is there any other way? And I listened to a sermon years and years ago. I don't remember who preached it. I don't even, I remember the sermon title, and it was this, The Day heaven was silent because Jesus asked dad is there any other way and there was no answer because there was no other way and Jesus said not my will but yours be done the scripture tells us the angels showed up once again strengthened him ministered to him Next week, we're going to look at the adoration of the shepherds. The week after that, we're going to look at the adoration of the magi, traveling half across the known world to try to find this, this young boy, Jesus. Now, they're not really at the nativity. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks, but they're still a part of that story. You know, the shepherds and the magi... I don't think they quite got what was going on here by Jesus being here. I don't even think Mary and Joseph, I don't think any of them got it. But there were, there was one party of adorers who knew exactly 
why Jesus was here and the direction this little innocent life would go. The angels knew what was coming. You, you know, we, we get to Christmas and we focus so much on the coming of Jesus. And that is a great thing. I mean, it is. I mean, that is so much better than just focusing on a season of giving and receiving. No, it's about Jesus. But folks, it's not really about a manger. Christmas is about a cross. That's why he came. And we think of that innocent little child. It happens every single year. I don't know. Maybe it's God-ordained. But we will be here the Sunday before Christmas talking about the baby Jesus on some level. And there will be a baby somewhere in this room that will start crying. (laughs) Happens every year. And we think about that innocent nature of a child. We think about that baby Jesus who is worthy of so much more than being laid in a feed trough wrapped up in some strips of cloth. This is the thing, though, people. He was just as innocent as a 33-year-old man hanging on that cross as that infant lying in that feed trough. And Christmas is about him taking on the sin of this world, your sin and my sin. And the angels knew that. As they're crying out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men. They knew what that peace would cost. And I'd be willing to bet money that there were some tears shed as those words were spoken. Folks, we have the benefit of 2020 vision. We are on this side of Christmas. We are on this side of the cross. So we need to look back. We can come to an understanding that Christmas is not about a manger. It's about a cross. And it's not just about the baby Jesus. It's about the Jesus who came here to die for you. And for me. Would you stand? This Christmas, maybe it's time we made all of our celebrations about the cross. Maybe it's time that as we spend time with family, and that is precious time, that we focus on the cross. There is somebody in your life, there's somebody in my life who has not yet fallen before the cross. Maybe it's this Christmas. You tell them about what Jesus did for them and they finally listen, they finally hear, and they finally respond. Maybe you've never responded to Jesus. And Christmas to you isn't about a cross. If you're here today, step over to the other side. Your life will never be the same.